All right, guys, another week, another episode. Here we go. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is your host, Jim Huntsman, coming at you from the Broken Tine Studio right here in Clark Fork, Idaho. Man, that is a mouthful sometimes. <laughs> so, uh, guys, this week I am uh, bringing on somebody. In fact, this is uh, the first time I've talked to him. Uh, and I always like these because I, I feel like we, we get a lot of good information out of episodes like this when it's... Uh, you know, just a, a new introduction, and and uh, we were introduced by my buddy Scott Rinkers over at Eastman's Hunting Journals, and uh, we're going to talk all sorts of things from conservation issues to um, to getting tags. Um, maybe you know, we'll we'll talk about point systems and 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 the like from somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. Because uh, a few of you have messaged me, and you're like, "Well, let's talk about you know how to get tags." <laughs> I'm the wrong guy to ask for that, but I did offer the episode and so we'll uh, we're going to touch on that in this episode because it's uh there's a lot to it uh and there's tons of information out there to help you so including the eastman's tag hub by the way i'm going to throw that out there Jaden bales how's it going brother it's going really good thanks for having me on and and man thanks for some of the podcasts you've been doing lately i tell you what like you're you uh have mentioned that you would ruffle some feathers. And um, I think that those podcasts where you're having deep discussions and asking hard questions are important. So thanks for doing that. I think you're doing a good job. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting with that because, you know, it honestly, it doesn't matter what you talk about in the hunting space, dude, uh, you're going to ruffle feathers no matter what, <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I, and I, I do worry sometimes people are taking the premise of the message wrong. Like we're, um, like for me personally, like I'm not, I'm not coming after the concept of is hunting conservation. I'm questioning how we're presenting that to the general public and, and meaning the general non-hunting public. Uh, that's more my shtick with, with, with that concept and uh chris Rowe is he's got his you know side of it and he's uh very well studied on the topic uh, guy same thing uh and and the nice thing is those guys are able to kind of carry the torch because they're a lot smarter than i am um but it's a good time I, I don't know it's a good time it definitely ruffled feathers like you said well, I think it's good, man, because when we look at the future of hunting and, and how we're going to make a difference somehow, um, I don't think you can do it without making sure that you have 90% or I guess 80% of the population um, on board with it. You know, oh, yeah. it's, it's, you guys talked about how, okay, you've got like 10% of the world is like hardcore anti-hunting. 10% of the world are hunters like us, but then you have the 80% in the middle and uh, gosh, the way that we talk about how we do what we do and what we do um, when it comes to hunting, it, it just makes a big difference, especially when we're not 
especially when you're not just, you know, around the campfire with your, with your buddies or whatever. So yeah. I, yeah, that's something I think about a lot. I think that's my, thus far, my, one of my biggest takeaways is we just have to remember, especially like on social media, when we're, when we're representing hunting, uh, we're not sitting around the campfire with our other hunting buddies. And we, we've just got to kind of keep that in mind. I, you know, thus far is, is, uh, I don't know. I think that's a good takeaway. Yeah, man. I, I, and the other thing is too, like we now are reaching folks that we would, we wouldn't have reached, uh, 20 years ago because yeah. of how we communicate online. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I learned this the hard way when I was in college, I, uh, posted up, um, I posted up this gripping grin of a black bear that I had just killed with my brother. Uh-huh. And, um, it wasn't like a big uproar or anything, but, um, I went to school at the university of Oregon where not everyone had seen a, a dead bear, let alone thought that they could be hunted. So, um, <laughs> I had, I had, uh, some pretty interesting conversations following that. And, uh, it was kind of eye opening. I was like, Oh shoot. Like the rest of the world doesn't live this way. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's something we always got to keep in mind. Yeah, there's uh, it, it's the disparity between the two Americas. I call it. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I always think of thing like goofy thing. This is how my mind works. Like, what if a bear hunter was going to Berkeley? Uh, you you yeah. know what I mean? And and just like the, I don't know, I don't know. They wouldn't even work. I I just can't even see it working. But uh, anyway, but before we go down all those uh, rabbit trails. Um, let's give the audience a kind of a, like an idea of who you are. Uh, like I told you, man, um, I, I've known, I know who you are from listening to you on Cody's podcast, a rich outdoors. And, uh, that's about the extent of what I know about you. And so let's, uh, let's start there, man. Give us a, give us a snapshot. All right. So I grew up in Northeast Oregon, uh, outside of a small farm town called Imbler and, uh, I grew up on a farm and, uh, my family still has a place out there. And then I went off to college. Like I talked about Eastern or university of Oregon, met a girl and she wanted to go to grad school. So, um, we sat down and jointly chose that she go to Wyoming. Um, so her and I moved out here and, uh, and then that didn't end up working. So I, um, uh, I'm no longer with that gal, but I sure stayed in Wyoming. Did <laughs> she kinda, stay in Wyoming too? I don't know. I haven't talked to her for a while, oh, okay. a few years. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, that's been, uh, so that's how I got here to, to Wyoming is I followed that gal. And then I just wanted to stay so bad. Um, when I had the opportunity to take on this job um, with the Wyoming Wildlife Federation, I jumped at it. Um, I live in Lander now. Um, been here three years in Lander was in Laramie for two years before that. And, uh, I guess a year and a half before that. And so, uh, yeah, this state's really just caught my attention. You know, it's really just taken me in at least, uh, from how many opportunities there are with hunting and fishing. And then I just, I really like the folks that live in this area. So it's yeah, been, was, it's been really good. I was going to ask like, what is the draw, uh, to Wyoming? Cause I, I have a draw to Wyoming as well. But I'm curious, like what yours is, and what what makes it a better place for you to live uh, versus versus where you came from. So where I came from is actually really similar to Wyoming. Um, real like real conservative, uh, you know, farming, ranching town. There's logging, and um, 
you know, about 10,000 people in the town. And that's basically what it looks like and what it feels like here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the biggest difference is there's definitely a uh, live and let live kind of mentality here in Wyoming. Um, and uh, not to mention the fact that the entire state doesn't have a huge metropolitan area that kind of controls the politics. So you end up with a, um, you end up with a more even spread and a more even representation of kind of how people want to be living in this like rural lifestyle that we all love. Right. So it just, it just really fits well with kind of how I like to live my life. And, um, and also it just like, it can't be understated that for residents, there's some really dang good hunting opportunities here. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, for non-residents, obviously, it's limited because there's not all the over-the-counter opportunities and stuff like that. But um, still, it just is a place that I I really appreciate. And I appreciate kind of the old ways that they're still holding on to um, yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. No, I do too, man. The 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 Forever West State has, has got that yeah. uh, where it's it's almost like you're – well, I'll put it to you this way. I was, I was telling you before we started recording, I, I lived down in Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. And Salt Lake is a pretty conservative area for the most part, um, but yeah, especially for a big city. Yeah, but it's it's it is losing that. It is like it's, it's kind of losing that grip. Um, and so it was interesting for the day job that I had. I had to go to Wyoming all the time. I was I, was, I spent a lot of time in Wyoming uh, under the guys that I was working really hard, but really I was barely working and fishing really hard. Uh, but so <laughs> you know, there's that part of it, but. It was interesting. It was like when you'd cross that Wyoming line, uh, it it was like stepping back into what America was, Mm -hmm. if if that makes sense. And not like Utah's not like that because Utah, if if you come from Sacramento to Salt Lake City, you're you're stepping back into what America that that American feeling that that used to be, that that Mm -hmm. doesn't seem present in some of those big metro areas anymore so and i'm mainly what i'm doing is i'm I'm advocating for folks in california that are considering leaving california going to wyoming instead of idaho because how how much better it is there is that is that fair (laughs) yeah hard no so (laughs) you know there's like there's a uh this is something that i think about a lot because like you you pointed out early on like what's the difference between where you live um, now versus where I, where I came from. And I think it, one of the things is that I don't see this. Um, I'd like to not see this place change too awful much, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and whenever someone kind of moves someplace, they move there for a myriad of reasons, but oftentimes someone will move there and see that they need to change it and try to improve it. And I don't know that that's always the, the direction that these places need to go. Um, yeah. I think about that for in, in, in both senses of like, uh, a Californian moving out and, you know, wanting maybe their, the, the political realm to be a certain way, or even on the inverse of that, trying to develop it out and, you know, maybe, um, have, you know, fewer wild spaces because they're trying to make sure that the economy is a certain way. I think that there's a lot of balance you got to run with all these conversations. It's not a, anytime you're trying to change the place, uh, from what it is, it makes me nervous. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, and I think you nailed it, man. I, I was making a joke and that's mostly that joke is for my buddies like Chris McKelvey and, and Mike Bozarth. You know, they're uh, they're California guys uh, that are now Idahoans and, and we're proud to have them. <laughs> but uh, I do still like to kid around about it because there there is that side of it where I think that I always look at it like this because I don't know. 
I don't know how we even got on this topic, dude, but mm-hmm. like if I lived in California, I would get the hell out of there as fast as I could. Right. Yeah. So I don't blame, I don't blame them. Um, and, but there is that sense of there, we, we, we've had a huge influx of out of staters move into the state of Idaho. And the more you have come to your state, the more of that population, there's a percentage of them that want to change things and, and, mm-hmm. and like take it to a place that is similar to what they left. And it's like, they don't even know the destruction that brings with it. Um, they, they just think it's better because that's how, that's what they've always known. They don't understand that maybe not having those things is what makes life so good in places like Idaho and Wyoming and Montana. Yeah. Yeah. I totally so, agree. Anyway, enough, uh, enough with that. Uh, the, the moral of the story is California, Wyoming is, I mean, the housing costs are a lot more, uh, advantageous and the hunting's <laughs> better. The fishing's better. I could guarantee you're not going to make it rich though in uh, the tech industry. <laughs> no. uh, I no. mean, that's one of the things. Uh, my mom is, uh, she's a professor and uh, she teaches nursing and she keeps sending me these different jobs, communication jobs. She's like, look how much money you can make. And I was like, yeah, 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 mom, stop. To, you know, in Oregon? They don't have, yeah, in Oregon. Yeah, yeah. And I keep going like, no way. Like, I'm sorry, you can't trade the outdoor experiences for any amount of money. But I, <laughs> uh, I will say uh, it's a good thing that we, we get to kill some things because groceries are pretty expensive. <laughs> oh, no kidding, man. They're super high right now. Like we don't well, – I, I don't know what we were – I was in the grocery store with my wife the other day, and we don't buy eggs. We have chickens, you know, and so – Same I here, yeah. Same, so same kind of thing. But I just – for some reason, I was I was grabbing milk or something. She's like, get the milk. And I always grabbed the wrong one, so I had to go back and get the right one that she wanted. And it's right next to the eggs, and I looked at the prices. It was like 5 bucks. It was like four ninety eight. For two dozen eggs, if I, yeah, and I might ridiculous. be misquoting that, but it was somewhere around there, and I was blown away. I'm like, man, I can't believe I'm in the wrong business. Maybe I need to get more chickens and start selling to the grocery stores or something. <laughs> well, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you, man. Uh, so, but yeah, no, it's that is a drawback, though. I just, I, you know, we always have these conversations where, like, you know, you can move out there. It's, it's so great. And then I'm like, also make sure you have a, a game plan here for how you're going to make a living because. Uh, it, that's what keeps that's what's kept Wyoming such a low population state all along. It's 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 not easy to make a living out here. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, less than a there's barely over a half a million people in the state of Wyoming. I think it's the least populated state in the in the country, isn't it? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So uh that that says a lot. There's less people there than I believe in Alaska. Um and it's a much smaller state. So cool spot man i'm i'm kind of jealous you're in lander tell us a little bit about what you do for wyoming wildlife federation all right so i uh am the communications guy so basically i take all of our different programs and make sure that i send out uh email social media manage our website um and buy ads or like you know set up press releases that kind of thing for all the different programs that we run uh, we basically have four things that we do. We do advocacy, which means uh, we've got a full-time person down at the legislature. Her name is Jess Johnson. Um, I'll disclose. She's also my significant other, but uh, she's she just left for the 
whole legislative session, uh, which is eight weeks in Cheyenne. Uh-huh. Um, we've, we've got, so that's advocacy. We've got a habitat program with a guy named Sam Lockwood, who uh, basically makes, uh, comes up with habitat projects throughout the year. Uh, we fund them and then um, also put people on the ground to replace fences or put in beaver dam analogs, like fake beaver dams mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that. Uh, we've got a kids education program, which is relatively new, but we've got a bunch of kids camps that are recent that just teaching kids about uh, the outdoor world and and how to how to be really good uh, outdoors people, you know, by both teaching them, you know, the leave no trace stuff, but then also um, some some entry level stuff with fishing and hunting. Uh, and then lastly, we've got a whole policy uh, position that is we just had some turnover because we uh, upgraded our policy person to our executive director. So, uh, but the policy person is uh, basically looks at how we manage public land, um, how we manage wildlife policy and make sure that the hunters and anglers have a, a voice at the table. So we're talking about like wildlife crossings, how the BLM manages land and how the national forest manages land, that kind of stuff. How does that break down in terms of what, like, I'm curious in the state of Wyoming, um, when it comes to like legislative issues, uh-huh. there, it are do hunters and anglers have a pretty strong voice in Wyoming? Because I imagine they do, but maybe I'm off base. Oh man, it is. Uh, I think it's one of the things that keeps us so effective is that uh, you know Wyoming really has a lar- large portion of the of the residents who hunt and fish. Right, mm-hmm. um, most of our legislators hunt and fish. Like there's there's a huge portion of them that that get it from where we're coming from. Um, the important thing too, is to remember, like, because we have such small population, like votes are decided by a couple hundred, uh, oftentimes at these local levels. So these senators and representatives, they listen to individual, um, you know, constituents and they listen to them very well. You can just go have a a coffee or a beer with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, we did like a legislative overview last week and, um, just, we do these kind of adult education, uh, things at the bar here. And uh, we had one of the local senators just show up just because he was, you know, we're talking about the legislature. He's like, by gosh, I want to be there. And, um, you know, that kind of relationship with the local uh, senators and representatives is freaking sweet. It helps really make a difference, Um, especially when someone shows up and and talks to them in person and doesn't just yell at them from a screen uh, or or via email, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How long have you been with them, uh, wildlife? Or I keep getting tongue-tied because I, I told you I'm on the board of Idaho Wildlife Federation, so I yeah. keep wanting to say that. But Wyoming Wildlife Federation. How long have you been with them? Well, so I moved to when I moved to Laramie, I immediately got involved with WWF as a volunteer and as an ambassador. So um, that was that was coming on five years ago now. Uh, and so that's how I kind of just got tapped on the shoulder to ask if I wanted to take this job because I was already really involved as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, you know, this is my third year as a staff member, but fifth year, um, involved with these, these, these guys in this work. Um, so that was kind of, uh, I just, you know, from a friend of a friend, I, I, I like to big game hunt. That's definitely what I spend my most, most of my time doing, but, uh, I do consider myself an, kind of an overall outdoorsman and um these guys the wild wildlife federation works on the gambit of issues from from fishing um to uh small game to you know waterfowl and um and also big game the big game is the sexy stuff though yeah 
Yeah. Any anything that like Wyoming residents listening to this need to know about this year's legislative uh, session? Yeah, um, we can go a couple different directions with that if you want. There's some interesting bills that are coming up, but um, the number one thing that we do at Wyoming Wildlife Federation is try to just like more than trying to influence it ourselves. We're trying to make sure that the Wyoming residents have all the tools they need to go and make an impact, however, which way they want to advocate, right? Mm-hmm. So we have this uh, yearly event called Camel at the Capitol where we bring in hunters from around the state as long as the roads are open. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and everyone <laughs> gets to the Capitol. Oh, yeah. That's uh, February 2nd this year. Um, so we're going to have people come down to the Capitol on February 2nd. And uh, they get a little bit of a training on how this whole lobbying and how talking to your legislators work. And then we, and then the second half of the day, we go to the Capitol and people call out their senators and representatives and talk to them, ask them to vote different ways. Um, so if, if, if a resident's listening and they can get down to that thing, that is huge. Um, otherwise, you know, follow along with us and, and seeing what bills pop up that we, that we share about is uh, another yeah. good way. By the way, those of you listening in Idaho, we have, we do the same thing. Uh, Camo at the Capitol down in Boise. Um, I don't remember the date. It's coming up. I'll have to look, uh, jump on, jump on Idaho Wildlife Federation, the website or, or the Instagram page or whatever, and, and you'll find it. Yeah, dude, these, uh, the Idaho Wildlife Federation, you and I talked a little bit beforehand offline, but, um, those guys are doing an awesome job and, and it's cool to see um, not all wildlife federations have to agree on what they talk about or how they do it. Um, but I will say like the Idaho wildlife federation and, and Wyoming wildlife federation, I think do a lot of the same things and are, are doing a, a mm-hmm. pretty similar, similar work in both places. So, and tell us a little bit about your, I don't want to call it obsession, your passion for mm-hmm searching for tags and, and building points and, and your knowledge base in that kind of arena? So I grew up in, I told you, I grew up in Imbler. Um, and if someone looks at the map, um, that is right up in the Northeast corner where there were the big three elk hunts, uh, the big three Rocky mountain elk hunt, uh, units in, in Oregon. So from an early age, it was always like, okay, like how, when am I going to draw one of these archery, uh, elk tags, you know, and, mm-hmm. and then, um, as I got a little older, I couldn't draw the rifle tag every year to hunt in the Mount Emily unit. So that year, you know, it was about the time I was a junior or senior in high school. Um, junior year, I think is when I drew that last tag and then I couldn't draw my senior. So then I was like, all right, well, screw this. I'm going to pick up a bow and then start figuring this thing out so I can go hunt as much as possible. Well, little did I know the bow hunting would be really addicting. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but that whole process ended up just leading me into figuring out how, it, what it looks like for the rest of the States. And, um, and then that year that I moved to Wyoming, I was like trying to make sure I could get a, a, a get some hunting in and I was a non-resident. So I got to learn the non-resident Wyoming system. Um, and, uh, I, I, I like, I got a pronghorn on a second choice tag as a non-resident the year I moved here and um, I was like, holy cow, there's, there, you can play the, you can play the game and, and really find some interesting opportunities uh, across the West, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, that, let's talk about that for a minute because I, I think that that's what, I don't know. I don't know if I've, I want to say we've been lacking and that's really not the focus of this show, but 
you know, I, I do, here's a great example. Um, we do the, the school of September series, mm-hmm. uh, which by the way, tell, tell Cody, I need to get him on for school of September, man. He's a good ass elk hunter. I, I, need, <laughs> I, need, I need him on. Um, okay. He, I'm sure he would do it. He's, he's, he loves it, man. And, uh, yeah, yeah. him and I were just texting all night last night about this stuff, trying to figure out, and this ties back into your conversation. It ties back into, we were sitting there scheming because, uh, you know, we're looking at, we've got a handful of points in Colorado. He's got enough points in Arizona to maybe go hunting soon. And like, you know, it's all just trying to find the ways to make the most of your time we have on this God's green earth to, to go hunt as much mm-hmm. as possible. What's, what's like your overall strategy with getting tags in terms of, you know, a lot of people, they, they, they do a lot of point building for states or, or, uh, units that require like two or three points. And then they have like a long game, uh, for, you know, something like Arizona unit. What mm-hmm. is a unit nine or something in, in Arizona? Um, yeah. th- you know, th- they have two or three of those going on. Do you have like an overall strategy? Are you trying to build the most points everywhere or are you focused on like specific areas? I think he who has the most points is ultimately the loser. I don't think that <laughs> in the today's eight day and age, like if you're sitting on points in a bunch of different states, I think you're you, you should re uh, address your strategy here. The, the idea of having a point is to go hunting, not to accumulate points, right? <laughs> so I just I think we got especially in the early days of the point structures, we got really tangled up in the fact that these points were going to get me some. XYZ hunt or unit or some opportunity that was supposed to be superior than all the rest. And I think that that has really, um, for a multitude of reasons that have, that has really hindered us in the long run. Um, but you know, I really, I don't, I work for a nonprofit, man. I don't have like an endless budget to put towards hunting. Yeah. I actually have, I, I have a thousand bucks that I use to apply in different States. And so I've gotten, uh, four different state rotation, um, you know, three of them are short-term states and then one is a long-term state. Um, and I'm also more of a deer guy. So they're, they're also shifted towards states with different deer opportunities. Um, you know, I, th- I think if I was more of an elk guy, maybe Arizona would be higher on my list. But for instance, I don't apply in Arizona um, just because I don't, I don't have the funds to, to like just tack it on, you know. And yeah. it's such a long game that, that that didn't fall into my strategy. So yeah, I think it's it depends also the where you live. Like it's going to be a twenty hour drive for me to go hunt. This is an opportunity hunt in Arizona, you know. Like uh, I'd rather not do that. But yeah, if you yeah, live yeah. in if you live in West Texas, like there's no reason not to be. Um, especially you know, New Mexico and Arizona should be on your radar. So if you live down there, so, um, yeah. Well, let me ask you this: like, if do you have what what would be let's start at a very elementary level here because <laughs> i want to yeah let's do it. you know my my uh my hesitation with some of this uh part of this discussion uh jaden is is like i i don't want to get on the bad side of certain people living in certain states because we're like advocating for that unit or that state or and we're not going to talk specific units here but um you know i'm not i i don't want i don't want people to have negative blowback but i do want people to be educated enough to know and, and and the people that might give me blowback need to understand like people are coming to your state to hunt no matter what. So it doesn't matter what I say. I'm, it's not yeah. like, you know, I'm helping them or you're helping them. So I guess that's my hesitation. 
uh, I, I don't know. I did an episode like a year ago. <laughs> and like I said, the smallest little thing about a particular state that nobody would even identify. And I got like 10 nasty emails over it. Um, anyway, so we're, we're going to avoid like, you know, very specific things, but can you give listeners that let's say there's, there's people listening that don't know Jack about going out of state to hunt. You know, they're just yeah. getting into this. Maybe they're, maybe they're new hunters or they're just, they've always been happy hunting their, their own state. Uh, but they want to start dipping their toes into the points game and tag draw game and all that kind of stuff and, uh, you know, get their feet wet somewhere else. Do you have a recommendation on like what three states they should focus on for a short game? And when I say short game within the next five years or less, I I actually think that that like I you're hitting on something that's really important. Everyone who gets kind of upset about people putting a state or unit on blast or whatever, like it's because people are assuming that that is the place that someone's going to look at and be like, that's for me. I'm going to go there. And for people looking for places to go, I think you've got it backwards. You need to start with like the species you're looking for, like what kind of terrain you want and what's closest to your home. Like where can you go more frequently? Right. Uh-huh. So um, I, we just, we put too much, like we drive past, I'm so guilty of this. Um, we drive past places that we can be hunting all the time mm-hmm. just because we heard of some, you know, some grass is greener remark, um, in this place or another. Um, I'm actually guilty of it. Like within my home state of Wyoming is I used to go the last few years. Um, I used to spend a bunch of time in Western Wyoming, um, driving four hours to go into this, uh, to go mule deer hunting. Well, the biggest deer I've ever killed was actually one I shot nine miles from my house. Like, because I actually scouted hard and was able to look over a bunch of deer pattern him and then kill him on the opening day of rifle season. It was like, it, so yeah, that, I've done that. <laughs> similar it, thing drive six it's, hours when there's a big one, uh, 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly, man. So I think that that is where we need to start is like, what's the species? Like, what are people wanting out of it? And, and how far is it from their home? Like someone from Texas is going to get a different answer than someone from, uh, Wisconsin, you know? Yeah, that's a good point, man. I didn't, I didn't really think about that. I think that a lot of people, the, one of the downfalls is you have some States that are like over the counter and, and you know, those are, those are go-tos for every year, which are Colorado. Well, I'm talking, I'm talking elk. So maybe it's different for mule deer, but you Mm -hmm. have, you know, those go-to over the counter States. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and I think a lot of people like in the Midwest and back East, they 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 miss out on some really good hunting because they're so focused on this over the counter thing, and mm-hmm. and I think that that's that's like a sense of pride too. Oh, I you know got this deer, I got this elk on an over the counter tag. Uh, yeah, you know, and I I get it, but um, you're missing out on a lot of hunting, and you're driving past a lot of a, a lot of really good hunting. I I want to go back to one thing you you kind of brought up there. And well, actually I brought it up. You kind of reiterated the, the folks that are getting bent out of shape about units and, and putting States on blast or, or, or whatever. Y- you got to remember something, man. Um, this shit is not a secret. Like it's, this is, it's not in the year 2023. This stuff is not a secret. Now there might be a drainage in one particular unit that you know well, and that is a secret and, and that is well protected. 
like I have one of those spots. I have an elk spot that I, I will, I don't even tell family members about this spot. Uh, and, and I'm going to keep it that way. But, but it, it's, it's, uh, the thing that where I got a bunch of nasty emails was over fly fishing on a, on a very good river in the state of Utah. And <laughs> let me explain that too. Like, Folks, there's only like three good rivers in the state of Utah to fly fish. It's not a fucking secret. And so, pardon my, I, I cuss a lot, Jaden. You cool? You cool with that, man? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. You're not blushing. No. Okay. Uh, this stuff is not a secret, and that's I, I think my point is is nobody wants to. I hate I hate using the term. You know, we don't want your honey hole because that's what everybody says on social media. Uh, but uh, nobody's doing that. It's it's and these these units that are really good are well known. Like everybody knows about them. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there so um, people can not be so sensitive about it. Well, and the other thing is, is like I think people don't have the confidence that if their spot gets blown out, that they can go find a new spot either. Um, that's and a I think great that point. That's, yeah, I it drives me freaking nuts because you know what? Like I have. <laughs> um, I'm having a hard time. This deer I killed this year was a really nice deer for this area. And, um, I'm actually like, okay with kind of telling people because they're over here, like, you know, driving roads and being like, Oh, we saw where those this year, yada, yada. And I was like, look, man, there, there were 12 bucks in this drainage that I saw six people drive by on their razors. Like, this isn't, you know, like, like we need to be better hunters too. So, mm-hmm. and, and the other thing is if you're not uh, willing to go try something that isn't uh, put on blast, you're not going to find those honey holes. You know what I'm saying? It's like, if someone says, this is a good example, the Gunnison Basin in Colorado right now is, is known as a big deer area. It's like, it just is. Mm-hmm. And certainly there are big deer there. But there are also big deer in other places in Colorado. And if you are only tied to try to get one of those tags in in the Gunnison Basin, a third or fourth season tag, you're going to be sitting and waiting and not doing much hunting. Um, And I think that uh, this this is a whole hypothesis I have here. It goes for bucks and it goes for bulls. But if if you want a buck of a lifetime, you better have a lifetime of hunting bucks in your pocket before you get one. Mm Because otherwise, I'm not going to be sitting here on my deathbed you know, thinking about that one hunt I had one time. Um, and that goes back to this whole conversation about like these areas that get blown out and these areas that get put on blast. It's like, I think, you know, we, we gotta be willing to do the work ourselves and find these areas ourselves so that you're not just riding the coattails of people before you. Yeah. I think that there is a lot to be said for that exact point in, in a sense that like, there's a certain laziness that comes from people that are, are stuck on like one particular little area. Mm-hmm. Like if, if elk live in a, in an entire unit, let, let's say the entire unit is elk habitat. Yeah. You should be a good enough hunter to go in there and locate elk. Uh, mm-hmm. Same thing with mule deer. If, if you know, there are deer on the landscape, you should be a good enough hunter to figure out where those deer are going to be. Man, I like mule deer hunting. It's almost time, too. I look forward to mule deer hunting every single year. It's what I grew up on. That is not to say that I'm great at it. But now, there's some really good resources available. And my favorite one is over at Eastman's Hunting Journals, where they have the mule deer course. 
This course has all sorts of digital information for you to go through as an e-course. It's got the basic safety, training and preparation, choosing a hunt, making a hunt plan, gear, scouting, glassing, field judging, rifle hunting, bow hunting, hunt strategy, harvest, the experience. All of it is right there in one spot for you to access and learn from some of the best like Dan Picard and Brian Barney. So up your mule deer hunting game by going to taghub.eastmans.com forward slash courses forward slash online mule deer course. You know what? Just look up Eastman's hunting journals and you'll find it. It's super easy. Let them know I sent you. You won't regret it. It's not about a geographical location. It's it's not about protecting one specific spot. And yes, I know that units do get blown out and and people do show up. I've I've had a an area that I love to hunt uh, for mule deer up here, kind of in north central Idaho. Um, I've I, I found this spot by by doing you know the hard work, the scouting, and the, I I found it prior to things like go hunt and onyx and all these things that that we enjoy now. Um, I, I found it by just putting boots on the ground mm-hmm. and, and it has since I don't hunt there anymore. Uh, it did very well for me for, for a long time, but I don't hunt deer there anymore, uh, because it's, it's, it's been discovered or, or whatever. And so there's a lot of other hunters there, but I don't hunt very far from there either. And I still do pretty good. You know what I mean? And that's, that's the mm-hmm. key is, is being a, being a good enough hunter to be able to know, just the behavioral and and natural habitat kind of scenarios and cases in which you will find these animals because it it doesn't change that much it really doesn't change it changes a lot like the the way that uh, elk go through like a twenty four hour cycle or even a, a three day cycle uh, during the rut in uh, the high desert of southern Utah or or somewhere in Arizona might be different than the way um, a twenty four hour uh, cycle. When I say cycle, you know, what are they doing at night? What are they doing in the morning? What are they doing midday? What are they doing in the afternoon? Uh, that kind of cycle. Uh, that's going to be different than a, you know, an elk at 5,000 feet elevation somewhere in the Idaho panhandle, right? So I get that. But understanding all those nuances about these specific animals, if you're going to be a hunter, you need to be a prolific enough educator of your own sport and your own craft to know how to find these animals regardless of how busy one particular drainage gets or, or one dirt road gets or one unit gets. There's always yep. more country. Anyway, I'll go, yep. I'll, I'll stop going off on that tangent, man. <laughs> no, no, I, I've been thinking about this a lot, especially because of how, you know, social media and forums and stuff are just, they're just a garb a dumpster fire these days. It feels like, because the, and people are caught up on this notion that um, this exact thing that we're talking about. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I think it's important though, too, is like, man, it, if you haven't put in the work to, to, to hone the craft, I think you're missing out on a big part of this, man. The craft is where the, the, the fun part's at. And know? I don't get that, man. That's like half the fun for me. I don't, I don't get yeah. that. I love, I love going into a new area and, yeah. and identifying where I think there is going to be wild game and I'm successful at locating them. Like it's for, to me that it, it turns that into a successful hunt for me, whether I, I notch a tag or not, uh, because that's the other, that's the other part of it. That's the other half of it. That's a lot of fun for me. But, but that initial part that, you know, the discovery process is part of the hunt and it's a lot of fun if you, if you take advantage of it. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Couldn't have said it better myself. So where were we, man? I took us down a, 
Uh, another rabbit trail. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the reason why we got there was because you were asking me what three states. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, what three states do you think people should start applying in or should apply in? And that's where I went off my big long diatribe of like, look, there's people aren't considering enough variables once they get started here. Um, good example is, uh, you know, Nevada. Here's here's something to think about. Nevada has some. Uh, there is a lot of archery deer opportunity in Nevada. If you don't want to go bake your nuts off in, uh, on August 10th every year and archery hunt deer, you shouldn't be considering hunting in Nevada. Mm. <laughs> you know, like uh, my, my significant other, she is, she is a wonderful, she's very patient, very good hunter. But she just tells me to go jump off a cliff every time I mention going and hunting Nevada at 95 degree heat because she just is not her style. Dude, hit me up. Uh, I'll go with you. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk We'll talk more offline. I've got a few points down there that I need to track. I've been trying to burn them and they won't, they won't let me. Yeah. Uh, they make it hard sometimes. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, that's how we ended up on that is like, we just got to look at more variables, you know, um, yeah. for a, a good thing is like a, for instance, if someone lives out in um, Minneapolis, Minnesota and wants to hunt elk um, and you're not looking at Montana, I think you're doing yourself a disservice, man. It's like, it just, it's right. It's one state over. Um, if you're living, if you live in St. Louis, Missouri, and, uh, you're trying to drive to Idaho, brother, you're driving through two different hunting States. There's even three different States where you could, uh, hunt, hunt elk. Um, you, you know, don't do that. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I think the gist of the answer yeah, there that, lies. That makes a lot of sense, man. Like, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, if ge the, the geographic aspect of it will make it more feasible. And I think that that's mm -hmm. one, one of the problems of non-resident out-of-state hunters, especially the guys coming from like back east, They, it's like they think that it's this big hurdle to get into elk country. Like it's this, there's mm -hmm. this big mountain to climb. Uh, it's a, it's a huge obstacle and you know, oh, the, I can get a tag, but then getting there or, or I, I think they make it a bigger problem in their mind than it really is. It's not that hard, man, get a tag mm -hmm. and come on out. You just, you just gotta, you know, it'll be more feasible and less of an obstacle if you use the geographics to your advantage, if you're, if you're driving, especially because, and most people do, right? I mean, I guess mm -hmm. a lot of people fly. Yeah. Quite a few people fly, but even then, man, it's like, um, it just gives you a good starting. It gives you a really good starting point. Mm -hmm. um, the the other thing I you know was considering is um, you know like you were mentioning it's it's not unfeasible to get out here, but the important thing is is like also we we've made it. I, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but we've made it sound like we need every whiz bang gadgetry like fancy high speed gear that you can afford to to go do this thing and. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, I, I, I think more people are spending their paycheck on stuff they don't need than actually trying to have these experiences. Totally. I, I, I think just, you know, making sure if you, if it's the difference between a new bow and whether or not you can go buy a Colorado over the counter license this year, uh, I'd go, I'd, I'd lean towards the, the license just so you can go hunting. Totally, man. Totally. I mean, I have the advantage of being long enough in the tooth to remember back when I was elk hunting in a pair of shitty Nikes, um, mm -hmm. tennis shoes, you know? And so I, I don't know that a lot of young hunters have gone through, I, I shouldn't say that, but 
growing up, like when I was getting old enough to actually carry my own weapon, bow, rifle, which back then I was all rifle. I, all I did was rifle hunting was, you know, the early 90s. We didn't mm-hmm. have all this cool gear, man. We, we didn't like the, I had a, I carried a, for years, I carried a pack that I got at the Army Navy surplus store that was like a Vietnam era infantry military pack. And it was, it was, uh, you know, I wouldn't use it today. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, Dude. Uh, it's so true though. Like I, uh, had this friend of mine come out and we killed this elk at like 11,000 feet. And the way that you got, we got to the spot was you took his, we, <laughs> we stayed at my house we drove an hour, dropped the four wheeler off, rode the four wheeler an hour, got off the four wheeler, hiked in three miles back to this lake. And, uh, and he shot this bull and then we kind of were like, Oh shit. Like now we have to get it back to the yeah. back out. So, um, we brought this, this hurt, like four people in with us the next day and we packed this bitch out and it was one of those, like, it's just all boulders around this lake and you're, um, crawling up, you know, kind of like pulling yourself up over these, you know, Volkswagen sized pieces of granite. And, um, we've got all the high speed Kafaru, Stone Glacier, Kuyu, like all the stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to, uh, this old retired horseshoer who we ice fish with sometimes. And, and, and uh, Scotty was like, so how'd you guys do? I was like, well, we got an elk out of, you know, such and such. And he goes, Oh yeah, that's my old outfitter camp back there. I was like, how, I was like, how'd you get horses there? And he goes, Oh, we didn't. I was like, what? How'd you pack the meat out? He's like, well, you just kind of strap a quarter to your back with some P cord and uh, just kind of climb yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs> I was just like, holy <laughs> crap, we are so soft, you know, <laughs> we are so soft. Oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah. You know, I think you know, there's a lot of um, there, there's a lot of hunting that can be done without having to to spend your whole paycheck on on the gear. Dude, a lot of those old timers they still do it that way too. Like nothing yeah. makes you feel dumber. When you're hiking around in the in what you think is the backcountry, in you know two thousand dollars worth of gear, and you and you show up and there's some old timer back there in jeans and and like Walmart boots smoking a cigarette, packing a bowl out. It's like how, <laughs> what, what, like why, how, how did this even happen? <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. No, precisely. <laughs> I try to kill at least one animal in blue jeans a year to make me feel at least. Uh, halfway in touch with the old school way <laughs> yeah you got it it's just part of the the soul building process brother yeah exactly <laughs> that's character exactly. building um what do you uh, think what do you think like the biggest mistake is that people make when it comes to building points or drawing tags that they want i think the biggest mistake is they don't consider what their strengths are you know people hear about a thing and they just want to go hunt it because they heard it was good and they don't consider the the terrain or they don't consider the the style of hunt that would be best for it you know i think about this a lot with elk hunting um there's a lot of really good elk units in in wyoming that are not suited for someone who's calling you know you look at and i'm okay talking about this a little bit just because they're damn near impossible to draw but you look at someone if if you're a a diehard elk hunter and you want to come out and hunt area 100 and bugle your face off it is not going to be, you know, doing that in the red desert where the tallest thing around is you, um, is not going to be as effective as if you're in the national forest in the thick Northern Idaho. Um, you know, like Mm -hmm. people are just not considering the factors that 
lend to their success. If you're a spot and stock guy, if you're a if you're an archer deer hunter by trade, that area 100 elk tag is probably going to be right up your alley because all you're going to do is spot and stock. <laughs> you know, huh. I'm intrigued. Um, well, yeah, exactly. And I, I don't uh, get I, me wrong, I love calling an elk, but I, I'd be intrigued with that one. Well, and, and that's just the that's just the thing is like, I think you know your strengths, right? You're like, oh, that sounds like fun. Um, and just so I don't get skewered. Uh, I just wanted to make sure everyone knew that that takes maximum preference points to even have a chance at drawing. So yeah, like don't, what would don't that roast take me over a spit. That's like north of 10 years to get a tag like that, right? Uh, I have it pulled up here. Oh, you're not even guaranteed with maximum preference points. So you're talking 17 years. God, that's got to be a good-ass unit, man. <laughs> man. One day so, I'm going to draw a tag like that with those kind of odds. One day. Hasn't happened yet, man. I am like, <laughs> I am like the one of the unluckiest people you'll ever meet uh, when it comes to like draw odds or mm-hmm. you know these random draws. I never win them, man. Like never. And so, I think that's going to change. That can only go on for so long. I I always yeah, it's a it's a law of averages, right? Like you just got to play the game. You just got to keep going. Something. Yeah. It's just hopefully you're not in a wheelchair and at a senior citizen home when, when that happens. <laughs> I know what's going to happen, dude. I, I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm putting, I'm going to keep putting in, there's a, there's a unit in Idaho. I wanted to do the archery hunt for, for elk for a long time. And, and I know the unit pretty well. Um, and I've been putting in for it, putting in for it, never draw, never draw, never draw. You watch. I'm, my girls are old enough now and I just bought them bows. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to put them in for it this winter. You watch. They're going to, one of them is going to draw on their first chance. And I'm gonna love it. I'm gonna jump for joy when they do, man. <laughs> That's gonna be great. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. Like last year, um, no, I actually don't want to give that one away. Just kidding. Uh, it was about <laughs> it was about a draw. I did that. I did that with my significant other. We were gonna put in for a party together, and you know she really wanted the tag, and I was like, yeah, like let's do it. I got the party set up. Don't forget to apply. Two days after, I was like, all right, did you get in? And she's like, oh no, I forgot to apply. And sure enough, I drew the tag. <laughs> no so, kidding, huh? Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. great, man. One day I'll draw even a, an Idaho moose tag, and I still don't even, I don't even get drawn on those. Never. But it'll happen. Uh, I, I'm trying to, I, again, this is this is what happens when, when you're on this show, man. I get I get sidetracked easy. Um, going back to the biggest mistake people mm-hmm. kind of focusing maybe on the wrong thing or not playing to their strengths that mm-hmm. is that does that kind of sum that up pretty well yeah definitely and i think the the kind of you know footnote to that is that people aren't taking the time to to learn a place um one of my favorite things that i have been doing and i think probably more folks should consider is to cow hunt or to to doe hunt or to you know cross species hunt in a place that they want to hunt. Let's say if you're trying to get this this bull tag year after year after year, but it's a general deer area, mm-hmm. go try to learn that place with your general deer tag in your pocket. You know, because um, I think you know when it comes down to like what is what makes people successful. Um, and you you I, I had the pleasure of obviously I, I'm a podcast junkie and I also have interviewed a bunch of guys for the Rich Outdoors Mealy Monday. And 
the number one thing was these people hunt these places over and over again and they know the country. Um, that just is the, that just is the defining factor. So I think that people get really, uh, myopic about just trying to go for that one bull hunt and don't think about what it really means to, to learn a place and to hunt that place effectively. That's a great point. I've never really thought of that. Um, because I I've been guilty of that I've you know gone into a new unit and and completely failed because I I didn't do any pre planning or, or on the ground scouting or you know I just kind of relied I that and it's the other end of the spectrum that I was getting at earlier where I mm-hmm. I love the success the the feeling of success that comes out of being able to locate animals in a brand new area that I've never been in mm-hmm. but I hate the sense of failure when I don't. And so (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be one of those guys that only highlights my good times, right? (laughs) Because that's happened a lot. And so what do you recommend on that? Something like that. Well, I, I had the same, I had the same experience and I think that was where, um, yeah. And and I can kind of tie it back to the where I grew up, but you know, people would come out and burn 16, 18, 20 points to hunt in the Mount Emily unit growing up. And they lived in Portland Uh and we'd run into them we'd run into them all the time. They're like, God, why is this such a good elk unit? Like I can't find any elk. And you're like, brother, you can't swing a dead cat and not find an elk out here. You just don't know like, you know, where they would be living. Um, and so it just goes back to this, this notion that, um, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta do your due diligence. I had the opportunity also to hunt on this Nevada landowner tag a couple years ago. And, uh, this Nevada landowner tag was one of the highest trophy quality areas in the state of Nevada. Um, I kind of was going for a short window and we had this film crew and it was a, you know, a specific kind of scenario, right? Like it just wasn't like I just lucked into this situation, but I walked out there and it took us four days to find the floor point. Um, and this is one of like one of the hardest draw units in Nevada. And that was super eye-opening for me, man. Uh, you know, it just is like, when you go out and get your butt kicked, you realize that, like, it doesn't matter where you are, who you are, what success you've had in the past. You got to go out and work every single time you go hunting. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Nevada's, I feel like just Nevada is a tough place to hunt anyway. But I know they have really good units. Um, You kind of said something there. Yeah. I let's not go down that rabbit trail. I've said rabbit trail like four times on this episode, dude. Um, That'll be the episode, the episode name, the rabbit trail, the rabbit trail, the episode of rabbit trail. Every one of my shows is like that, man. Um, that is the, so new hunters. I, I really like the concept of, of, you know, focusing in on their strength and all that kind of stuff. But are there, are there draw like somebody that is maybe having one to two points, in, in, you know, pick your state. I, I don't care if it's Arizona. Is there, that's, I guess what I'm going for. Is there opportunity in every Western state for say mule deer, like decent opportunity without waiting 10 years? Yeah. Over the counter aside, obviously. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, you look at mule deer in particular, uh, and there's plenty of opportunity across the West. If you pay attention to the, to the way that these opportunities are given out. Right. For instance, um, if you weren't paying attention and didn't notice that Idaho has gone to a first come first serve system for non-residents, uh, 
that whole system has kind of altered the way that people are getting tags, but there still are archery tags that are guaranteed unlimited draw for non-residents in that state. Yep. You know, yep. it just takes, a, it just takes a little research. What are your thoughts on the way Idaho did that? Uh, with, with the first come first serve, I, you know, as, as a resident, that doesn't affect me, but I think it's kind of jacked up the way they do it. Like right before Christmas, <laughs> you, you know, for those of us with young kids and, uh, have to pay for an expensive Christmas kind of thing. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think it's kind of jacked up, but yeah. I, and, and I, I say that from a guy who's, you know, 99% quite satisfied with the way Idaho operates. Uh, I, they need to just, in my opinion, this is just the sole opinion of Jaden Bales here. I think they need to just do a random draw for all the units that they offer and just not do the first come first serve. Cause is that, that you're just, talking random draw for, for non-residents. Yeah, man. Um, and it's a similar way that Wyoming has issued our general tags and basically they've taken these general or over the counter tags and then just allocated them through the draw to non-residents because they're capped. Um, I'd like to see Idaho do that. And they don't have to create, don't create some point scheme or anything like that. Just, just random draw that sucker, just like everything else in Idaho is, and, uh, and let people know what their percentage chance of drawing a place is. Because um, otherwise, I mean, you're, getting, you're getting so many people with tags in their pocket that either A, they don't want them, or B, they get them as a backup and then they turn them in later. It's just like a, it's not an efficient system. I don't think. Well, and I, I always feel bad for the non-residents trying to, to get these tags, especially for the elk. Um, like the website is a disaster. What what do Mm -hmm. they do that? Like December 2nd or something like that. I don't know. December 1st. Is it December 1st? It was this year. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's like that every year, but, um, the website always crashes and I'm looking, you know, people are posting what position they are in line. I don't know. I just, there something, something could be better, but again, I don't mean to complain when it comes to like, as a resident of Idaho, uh, I have no complaints, uh, for, for the most part of, of how Idaho mm-hmm. fishing game manages the, the tags and the allocations and the, and the seasons. Uh, I think, I think Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana are the three top states to be a resident uh, big game Western hunter in. Um, Certainly. You know, so that said, what, what do you think when it, I'm not talking about the hunt itself. I'm talking about the process of getting a tag. Um, what, What would you like? I know you, 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 you like to talk about, you know, play to your, your strength and, you know, look at the geographic, but what states are doing it right in terms of how non-residents get tags? Oh, that's, uh, I honestly think Idaho, like, let me back this up. If you play multiple state games, like as you, as in you're diversified, you've got a bonus point state over here. You've got a random state over here and you've got a preference point state over here. Um, I think the, the having the diversification plays into your strength as a non-resident. Mm-hmm. That said, I still think that I don't think that there's a single point system that has proven to be long-term sustainable in the West. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I just, I just haven't seen one that, and again, like the, the key here is long-term sustainable. 
because it works in some short term and, and for areas that have a lot of tags and a uh, uh, demand that matches, you know, the, the ability to go hunting there. But when you get, again, keep in mind, I, I grew up in the Mount Emily unit. Um, they don't even, they alternate whether or not they offer a non-resident tag each year, let alone mm. the fact if, if they give it to the top preference point holder. Um, you know, I, that's the thing you got to take into mind. So the, to answer you, you very directly, no point systems, I think, are the best long-term approach. So New Mexico, in how they distribute their tags, um, is good. Idaho is very good. When when you're talking about the point system, do you have do you have an opinion on states? Which I think there's two. Uh, I think we talked about them: Utah and Montana. That have you know you you buy your point, and you can buy a preference preference point. That they basically uh-huh. have the, the two different approaches to getting points, right? Yeah. Uh, do you, can you speak to that in terms of like, do you have an opinion on that? So, um, we just went through the Wyoming wildlife task force. Um, there was 18 months of meetings of this task force so that Wyoming could address some of these very issues because Wyoming has serious preference point creep, just like we were just talking about. You can't draw area 100 as a non-resident, even with the maximum amount of preference points. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's your example. Um, And they were looking at what happens when you do all these different draw scenarios, bonus points versus a preference point system, et cetera. And basically, if you run a bonus point system, you get, and and folks got to bear with me if they haven't looked at a graph like this in a while, but you get just like a smoothing, an exponential function of when you draw, when you have a bonus point system. So, um, the top end point holders always the majority of them always getting get the tags, but then you get some people in those mid and lower point levels that grab a tag you here and there. I that's not bad. I don't I don't think that that is too awful bad because then at least as you're if you're at the bottom you have a chance. Um, oh, the preference point game. I'm pretty I'm pretty negative about the preference point game just because I haven't seen a state where especially for like the high quality opportunities that it is held out to be, uh, to, to be very helpful for anybody. <laughs> when you, Jaden, when you mentioned that, like you haven't, you, there's not a state out there that with, with the point system in general, whether it's, it's preference or draw or whatever, um, that you feel is long-term sustainable. What is not sustainable about them? I think the thing that's not sustainable is when you have guys dying of old age who still have preference points in their back pocket. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's. Yeah, I, I think that is the punchline. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really, I, I think I'm really passionate about that because the reason why you have preference points is so you can go hunting. And people who have 29 points in Colorado, um, they, they should have hunted 20 years ago, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, there's people that have uh, 29 points in Colorado. I think that's what the it's either twenty nine thirty is the top the top level. It's I think the most mature preference uh, wow. point game in the yeah. What are these guys waiting the for, man? Is it is it the the state that is preventing them, or is it like um, they're they're not burning them? They're not burning them usually. Yeah. And um, so Sam, our habitat guy at Wyoming Wildlife Federation, mm-hmm. he's got plenty of points to draw a sheep tag in Wyoming. Um, and I'm like, bro, Sam, 
what are you waiting for? And he's like, well, I just had a kid last year. So I'm kind of just, you know, thinking. And then, so he didn't go last year. And then this year I'm like, all right, Sam, your boy, he can go to a babysitter now. Like, let's go on this sheep hunt. And he's like, well, you know, I shall, I should probably get some mules so we can go into the back country. He's like, I should get a couple more mules so we can go into the back country of the sheep are. And, you know, like it's not that his, his thinking or his logic is wrong. He should make sure he's got his ducks in a row so he can give this hunt its due. Um, but at the same time, man, like he just keeps dragging her out, dragging yeah, her out. Yeah, man. There's, there's a, there's a fine line between getting your ducks in a row and paralysis by analysis. Um, and, yeah. and <laughs> I know, you know, there's, that's, it's like a personality trait with a lot of people I know that are like that too. They're, they're super analytical and they like mm-hmm. overthink what the preparation, I mean, I don't care if we're just going coyote hunting down the road in the farmer's field, like the amount of planning that they put into it is ludicrous versus me where it's, it, it might not, a lot of times it might not be enough planning. You, you know what I mean? And so, I don't know. That's always a, that's always an interesting topic for me. <laughs> but Yeah. Uh, it can be a, it can be a hindrance and it can also be a help, you mm-hmm. know, just, you got to find the balance. Yeah, for sure. For sure, man. Um, let's, let's kind of bring this back to, uh, the Wyoming Wildlife Federation. And, uh, we, we kind of, we touched on it a little bit, man. And I feel like I, I may, I may have cut it short by going into this tag discussion, but I want to bring it back to particulars in like what Wyoming residents need to be aware of this legislative session prior to all this going on. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, if it's all right, uh, the place you should look at some of the stuff that we're tracking is on wyomingwildlife.org. We've got, um, and so this is part of, <laughs> this is my job. Uh, I've got a webpage I just put up uh, that has a bill tracker on it. It's called the WWF Bill Tracker. Um, and so you can kind of go see what we're looking at and how, and, and the things we look at are the ones that impact Wyoming wildlife habitat and our hunting and angling opportunity, right? So mm-hmm. most people listening here probably are interested in that stuff. <laughs> uh, well, we, we, no, we have a, we have a pretty sizable audience in Wyoming. <laughs> okay. Well, um, one of the things to keep in mind as you're looking at that um, is that uh, one of the things in mind here is that there's, there's a it, the the nice thing about being in such a small populated state is that you will work with people to achieve a goal. You'll work with someone one day and the next day you're going to be at the opposite ends of the pole from them on another topic. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, a good group that I don't mind mentioning uh, is the Wyoming Outfitters and Guides Association. Um, the folks that run that um, are, I think they're honestly very good humans. I, they're, they're fun to have a whiskey with. Um, yeah, we're going to disagree with them on a handful of topics. Um, and the nice thing is, is we just understand that from the get go. Um, and we will work on the stuff together that we think we're going to improve wildlife numbers and it's going to improve the hunting and, and, um, opportunities in the state. But at the same time, we're probably going to disagree how, those opportunities are divvied up. 
because <laughs> okay. they have a living to make, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the only thing is, is as I'm as I'm kind of setting the stage to talk about these bills, is like we can't, you know, especially in a state as small as Wyoming, you can't burn everybody at the stake for the thing that you don't agree with them on. Because the next day you're going to turn around and ask them to help you out of the ditch when you get stuck in the snowdrift, right? Man, that like that's is, just the way it goes. That I, I wish more people understood that concept, uh, especially hunters, man, because we're we're famous for burning people at the stake, <laughs> like yeah. you said, you know. But uh, a great example of what you're talking about is the, uh, you know, these American cattle associations. They could mm-hmm. be they could be our enemy one day and our best friend the next. Like they, when it comes to fighting against the anti-hunting movement, there is no better friend to have than than the cattle associations, uh, because they have a lot of lobby power, they have a lot of weight. Um, but you know, when it comes to you know BLM or public land issues and stuff, they they're not so much always the the, the best people to have on our side, right? Um, so yeah. it's but. I don't know. I just like the way you put that, and I, I wish more people understood that. So sorry to cut you off with that. No. Well, thanks. Uh, I Again, I think it's one of the things we got to remember. Uh, one of the topics that falls under the – so you see what I did here. I queued this up. Uh, one of the topics that falls underneath that umbrella is going to be hunter trespass and corner crossing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of people, especially people who don't live in Wyoming, it's one of their favorite things to parrot. But one of the few things that they actually get involved with um, real solutions on. Um, so so that, I hope no one takes that offensively, but that is what we're seeing on the ground as, as people who are working on this issue. Sweet. So, so that is, that is going to be on the docket this year from the Wyoming legislator is legislature is uh, is a quarter crossing issue. You're going to see trespassing on the docket. So and gotcha. by trespass, um, I'm talking about, uh, I don't, I don't want to, my significant other here is going to, kick me in the butt if I, if I screw this up too bad, because this is really where her realm is. But there was a, there are a couple of bills. There's two in particular that we're looking at whether or not uh, someone can trespass on private property with a drone um, and whether or not you can go through property and get cited for, um, for, for wildlife trespass or hunter trespass. When you say go through property, you mean actually step foot on private property to access more uh, public land beyond, or are you talking about like through the air? So they've defined it as saying stepping on the ground. Yeah. You know, like physically on the ground. Yep. Yep. So, so, but one of the things you got to watch is like in our, in our wonderful legislative process, we also have the opportunity to, add amendments and screw with bills after they've been drafted. So it just is one of those things that like, these are the types of bills and the types of things that we're watching and we got to make sure that they end up, uh, fall in the direction as they're intended. Gotcha. 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 So this corner crossing thing, man, is mind boggling to me. <laughs> we've, uh-huh. we've talked about it a little bit on my show just cause I, I don't understand it from a sense that where, where I live and where I mostly hunt is, uh, um, that, that just doesn't exist that we don't have this checkerboard landscape. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I want to be supportive to hunters and public land av- advocates that in access advocates in other States, just because it, you know, it doesn't affect me every year. 
it, it may someday or and the uh, at the same time I, if if I have a major legislative issue that it does not affect other hunters from another state or or whatever I I would want their support on it as well right so that's that's why I bring it up because I, and but you're going to think I'm ignorant with the whole thing cuz I I don't understand how you could be trespassing like those dudes that put that ladder um to access that that corner to go elk hunting I don't I don't understand how that could be defined as trespassing and granted it sounds like the court agreed with that is yeah. the corner crossing specifically going to be in the discussion for the Wyoming legislature in any way, or is it just the trespass thing? Uh, it hasn't been, it has, there's not a bill that we've seen yet, but let's keep in mind today is January 10th. And I don't mean to, uh, give up your, uh, your secret publishing dates, but today was the first day that of legislature in Wyoming. So there's certainly an opportunity for it to still come up. So when you're, um, when you're, and yeah. don't worry about the dates, um, when you're that, that's one of the reasons I record my show and release them when I do is because I, I like to discuss current topics, and so this this will be like live uh, probably next week, dude. So, okay. um, the anyway, the point is 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 that something that you, you were mentioning? You guys were doing like um, I don't remember what you called it, but you, you guys went to like a brewery and had a you know comment period on the upcoming legislator and the state legislature sh- showed up. Is that accurate? Yeah, is would it, it would in that case would it be like out of line to bring that up to that state leg- legislature and let them know how important it is that something gets I don't know um, confirmed in in some sort of law when it comes to this corner crossing thing so that we could put this issue to rest because it, it's in my mind for, from an outsider looking into like residents or non residents hunting in Wyoming. It's such a stupid thing to to be having court uh, dates set, to be having uh, you know legal action taken over somebody climbing a ladder and in, in, in like it just needs to be settled. How do we achieve yeah. this? I I think that what you're gonna see, uh, there's there's a whole slew of ways you can you can tackle it because you can tackle it from you can tackle it from the federal land. Uh, management perspective, mm-hmm. or you could tackle it from like the state access perspective, right? So there is a there's a world and I, where you can have the BLM start swapping out because most of the, most of the stuff that we're talking about are are BLM squares that yeah. are in a checkerboard fashion, and you could have them start like a mandate to start blocking them up, so you don't have to actually deal with the corner piece. Um, that's one way forward. And that one, I, I wish I was a better I public I don't, land expert on that one, but I don't know um, for like, to me, Jaden, that doesn't even seem realistic to swap the land out. I, I don't understand why, and I'm not coming at you, dude. Uh, th- this no, no, is I, like, hear, I, I hear you. This the, is good. The frustration in, in that that comes from me is the, w- w- the level of ludicrousness. <laughs> is that a word? It can uh, be for for the Western Huntsman podcast. That is a word from you know right here on out going forward. I just like you know slam the gavel on it. Um, the lunacy it 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 is uh, that that 
landowners, and I'm a landowner. I own I own 26 acres here in North Idaho that, that you know that we live on, and I don't want people trespassing on my land. But I can't imagine as a landowner getting bent out of shape if I had the, like this this four corner kind of thing going on in one of my corners, and somebody stepped over to access the public land on the other side. I, I it just is lunacy to me, and so I, I guess what is realistic to me is the legislature. Who again? They're going to have they're going to have a, a pretty heavy lobbying uh, power coming at them from you know the cattle and the landowners uh, you know in the state of Wyoming. So it's easier said than done, but it seems like it would be achievable to just make it something written that states it is totally fine and not trespassing as long as you don't step on that landowner's land to cross those corners to access more public land. It just I don't know. It's such a simple solution to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, and a lot of them yeah. are, but yeah, you know, it's it just it's just lunacy to me. I I think that you're hitting on a really you I mean you hit on the really important point though is like you have to make sure that the people who are uh who are in power who might have more power than you do um are on board with the solution or else you're just gonna beat your head against the wall and create enemies along the way. Yeah. Um you know, and I, I think what you're talking about too is like we, you asked me at the beginning, like, do hunters and anglers have uh, a strong voice in Wyoming? I said yes, and um, I think that what you consider though is who are the three players with strong voices in Wyoming? It's hunters and anglers, it's oil and gas, and it's the ranching community. Yeah, you know, so um, you, you got to make sure those folks are on board, or else. Um, if you only have two, if you only have one of those spokes trying to move in the direction, the whole wheel is going to fall apart. Man, that's a tough one for you guys. I, f- I feel for you, uh, and I, I feel for me because I kind of there's I, I have some secret information, Jaden, of this unit I want to hunt in Wyoming at some point, but it is going to involve that checkerboard landscape, and I, I just I and and this is just a guy speaking from uh, somebody who's just at that age where I'm just frustrated with the, the nature of politics, whether it's state level or federal and the, the, the immaturity that seems to come out of like turning what seemingly are very simple things into overblown insanity. Like, okay, let people have access to the public lands and in lieu of them not having access for the landowner, maybe there is some kind of tax incentive when you have checkerboard land. Yeah, you know, I just, I just feel like we don't have grownups in in our political leadership levels at all levels, and and I can say that because I don't work for a non not for profit organization like uh, Wyoming Wildlife Federation, right? And <laughs> and I get that from from your guys' side, you guys you, you guys can't say that kind of stuff, but I I am saying. That if there are like political leaders, I don't know. I'm, dude. We, we've been going for over an hour, and I'm I'm already getting fired up over over something that isn't necessarily something we need to get fired up for at this point in the podcast. But I'd be happy to do another podcast with you on that topic <laughs> where we can get. You really know rowdy. who might be really good is is uh, Jess Johnson. Uh, oh yeah, she's really the political. She's got the political mind of the two of us. Uh, so yeah, that would be a great podcast for you guys to have at some point. Okay. Um, 
Yeah. Well, I'm I'm certainly open to it, man. I know I've I've kept you a long time here, so I I know we gotta we gotta wrap this up. But uh, I, I just did I did we leave anything on the table that you feel like, man? I, I wish I could have gotten this out uh, regarding the upcoming legislature um, prior to us wrapping this up. So the last thing is, um, we are we're bringing a couple bills, and Jess is working on them right now um, regarding predator hunting, and in particular uh bears wolves and lions so um i'd like for people to keep their kind of head on swivel for more information about uh the, the bills we're calling our bear bills um we have teamed up with the american bear foundation we've actually got a banquet coming up here at the end of the month and yeah. um and uh we're up be doing cody? That, yeah up in cody it's Sweet. a good time man yeah um but we're working on these bear bills and the idea is to uh, to shine a better light on large carnivore hunting, because we know that uh, around every corner, um, there folks look for ways to tear it apart. Um, so I just, uh, you know, if you want me to go into some of the details there, I'm happy to, but also we're just, we're going to be communicating about it and, uh, hopefully trying to push on some, some language changes and stuff in Wyoming for our large carnivores. Is, is the goal without getting into too much detail, um, it, mm-hmm. is the goal with that to kind of solidify, um, bear hunting or carnivore hunting as you know, where it's, it's like, I don't want to say untouchable, nothing is untouchable, but it, just solidifying it in the, in the legislature in a way that protects it from, because let's be honest, uh, you guys have some crazy anti-predator hunting folks out of Jackson um, uh-huh. that uh, that they get pretty uh, pretty feisty, and so is is that the reason why it, and, and is a goal to kind of solidify what bear hunting is for the future of Wyoming? Well, if you think about the way that the the grizzly bear delisting has occurred, mm-hmm. it's actually not it's not even Wyoming as the state of Wyoming that has prevented those bears from being off the list. Yeah. Right. Yep. And so the folks you're referencing in Jackson certainly are a bit of an issue <laughs> for, for the future of predator hunting. But at the same time, um, you know, we've got a large part of the state that is still very uh, supportive. What we're really looking at is looking at the, the grizzly bear and wolf situation where the, the national perspective and the national mood around these critters determines whether we can manage them as a state and determines whether we can haunt them. Um, gotcha. so that's, okay. that's what we're looking at. And just the, the brief gist of this is basically Wyoming calls bears, wolves, and lions trophy game animals in the regulations. So we're trying to remove the trophy game animal name and just call them large carnivores in the regulations. Gotcha. That's, that's step one. Step two, we're looking at requiring a wanton waste, uh, the, the wanton waste law on large carnivores. So making sure people pack out the meat. They don't have to eat it, but they should pack it out. And I think that would help optics big time when you're looking at all these conversations about uh, anti-hunters and the reasons why things don't go over well with them. The American Bear Foundation is, is uh, on board with that concept. Yeah, I mean Joe. Joe at the American Bear Foundation. If have you uh, had him on yet? Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I had Joe on last. I think last year. He's so he's such a good guy. I like him. Yeah, but for sure. um, he's been working with us every step of the way. You know, it's just as like, deal. let's get the bear hunters on board. Let's get uh, lion hunters on board. Let's get people. You know, and so far we we really we've got the trappers on board with this thing. 
Um, I'd like to see it just plow right through. Um, yeah. I feel like anytime you, you think that it's going to go that easy, you're going to be sorely wrong, but, uh, let's, let's hope for some positivity here. And how do people, uh, find out more about all this? Um, is it just through the wyomingwildlife.org website, uh, to, to be able to, you know, the, the biggest thing I like to provide is, is the average hunter out there needs to have a voice. And so yeah. if they're Wyoming, if they're, if they're in Wyoming, how do they have a voice on this? Uh, number one reason or number one thing to do is go give us a follow on social media. And honestly, I'm, you guys, okay, listen to me, either a follow us on social media or B do this, go sign up for our emails and make sure we're not in your junk folder. And that way you can actually get it, the emails to your inbox when we're asking folks to make a comment, make a difference at the legislature. Gotcha. Um, so that's, uh, again, that's kind of, that's something I'm excited about because it's what I do for my job, but, um, it's important stuff, man. And I try not to send anybody any spam. Um, yeah. so, <laughs> yeah, no, I agree, man. It is, it's super important. And, and this is how I think that one of the frustrations that have come out and part of what sparked that, that series we were talking about that I'm doing with Chris and Guy is, is one of the things that sparks the frustration from hunters and, and creates a lot of hostility is I think that they hunters feel like they don't have a voice and, mm-hmm. and that's, that's how it was for a long time, but things have changed now where, where hunters do have a voice and the access to being able to express your voice is much easier than it was like say in the nineties. And so mm-hmm. um, anyway, just wanted to make that point, but Jaden, this has been a really good conversation, man. Um, Really, really enjoyed having you on, and and uh, I, I feel like you got a lot to offer. We could we we could probably keep this going for two more hours if we wanted to. <laughs> no kidding, man. Well, thank <laughs> you for having me on, and, and I know I said it at the top of the show, but uh, again, I think that you're doing you're having some really important conversations. I think as hunters, we've been able to uh, not have to consider. You know, there's what did Chris say? There's two types of people uh, in the world, and a lot of hunters are just the ones that want to be left alone. Yep. Uh, and that I don't he says think that, there are two types of people, those who want uh-huh. to be left alone and those who refuse to. Yes. And, uh, unfortunately I, I, I do agree with Mr. Rowe here. Uh, we, we can't really sit back and rest on our laurels. We just kind of have to use our voice and use it respectfully. Um, yep. cause these folks are our neighbors. So. Well, good deal. How do people find you? Uh, at wyomingwildlife.org. Uh, I'm running that all those accounts. Uh, but then personally just at Jaden Bales. Um, That's the one I was going for. Media. There we go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> at Jaden Bales. And, and, and guys, I'll have that in the show notes. I'm going to, I'm going to also link the Wyoming wildlife Federation in, in the show notes. Uh, the website for the Idaho wildlife Federation guys has a lot of information. Um, I've, I've got it pulled up right now. There's, you, you could sign up for volunteer opportunities. There's uh, you could read about the programs that they offer or, or, or run. Uh, and then the you know issues from energy developed to development to you know sage grouse science based wildlife management uh, policy news and there is a swag shop which is always my favorite part on a website. Um, so go check that out, guys. And again, it'll be in the show notes. Jaden Bales, appreciate you much, man. That was a good conversation. We'll talk soon. Right back at you. Thank you. You made it. That's the end of the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please make sure you're following us on Instagram at the Western Huntsman and write us a good review at Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Stay Western. 
and I'll see you on the mountain.